Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Have a great day. So as we begin this worship series called Stigma Free about an honest conversation about mental health, I want to invite you as you're leaving, um, on the back table are uh, discussion guides that look like this that you can use around your dinner table with friends or you can use around your dinner table with family. And there is a um, a special section for children as well. So this does not uh, preclude anyone from participation. Everybody is invited to um, have these honest conversations with trusted um, friends and trusted groups like your family or friends um, this evening or sometime throughout the week. So make sure you pick one of those up. There's also going to be an email that will be sent digitally um, as well if you happen to leave here without it. Um, so to open up, we're going to be journeying through the book of Numbers during July, which I know makes a lot of people excited. But it really is worth our time because it is a fantastic book of the Bible. And we're going to start out in chapter 6, verse 22 through 27, which many of you will probably recognize. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. This is the word of God for all of God's people. Let us say, thanks be to God. Jesus. Um, so I want to start uh, with a question. Um, for those of us who are here in person, uh, you'll answer it by raising your hand or not. Um, but if you're online this morning, I would love for you to answer this question in the comments. Um, so who in here has read the book of Numbers in its entirety? Okay, well, seminary doesn't count. I didn't read it in seminary. We got two, all right? Um, Online comment if you have read the book of Numbers, but this is what I thought was going to happen. And we are spending the next four weeks in the book of Numbers. And if you haven't taken some time to read through the book of Numbers, you are missing out on one of the best books of the Bible. It's really not as boring as its reputation holds. The book of Numbers is kind of like a sequel to Exodus, right? So if, you, if the book of Exodus was a movie, right, or a TV show, we would have Moses parting the Red Sea and the Israelite people walking through, and then the Red Sea falls on the Egyptians that are chasing them, and that's a little problematic. And roll credits, and if you're on Netflix, five seconds later, next episode, book of Numbers. The book of Numbers answers the question, so what now? after the people have left Egypt. They've escaped from their oppressors. And so the book of Numbers is full of these action-packed and intense scenes. And even in the sections, um, which is uh, presumed less exciting um, laws and codes, there are things that we can learn about God. 
The book of Numbers can be divided into two main parts, which tells stories about two separate generations. In the opening chapters, which if you've ever tried to read the Bible all the way through is probably where you stopped, you see a census of an entire generation of people. Name after name after name after name. Again, where you stopped reading when you tried to read the whole Bible. These people are named and then they're divided up into 12 tribes, which is where they're going to be with their family group as they're continuing to travel and be mobile. But then there are chapters with instructions on how the people are to live in community with one another. The book of Numbers has a lot to teach us about God. Just like we do, when we read any book of the Bible, we see a bigger picture of what God is like and what God thinks. We get a bigger glimpse of God when we read Numbers with its action-packed and confusing sections. One of the truths about the book of Numbers that I want you to be thinking about for the next couple of weeks is this. God pays attention. God pays attention. God pays attention to the details of taking a census and saying the actual names of over a thousand people in two different generations. God pays attention to the details of telling the people um, how to make a place for worship, even if they're on the move and they're not going to stay in one place for very long. God pays attention to the details of what we call the tabernacle. God pays attention to the details of the words that God wants the people to use. So even though, you've, even though most of us have never read the book of Numbers, I'm hoping that some of you recognize this passage, this blessing passage. It's, many, it's super popular. I have a piece of wall art that has this blessing on it. Pastor Katrina has the exact same one in her house. And I have found in my travels that at a lot of United Methodist youth events, camps, and gatherings, this is how they end their time. Everyone reciting this blessing together. My youth group growing up did it every single Sunday night. From 7th to 12th grade, we recited the blessing. And our youth group at Creekwood does that as well. Every single Sunday night, they end their time by saying this blessing. This passage is a great way to offer up um, a closing that really is encompassing, that sends forth a gathering of people. It offers protection, and it offers grace, it offers hope, and it offers peace. Blessings were deeply rooted in Israelite culture during this time. They weren't just something that they said at their weekly gatherings, but blessings were used all the time. Blessings are promised um, from God to the people, but also blessings are promised between people as well. And a blessing is not just for a special occasion, but it was part of the language that they used every single day. Now, there are not many things that 2021 Texas has in common with ancient Israel, but blessing being a part of our regular language is, because what's something that some of y'all say at least once a day? Oh, bless his heart. Oh, bless your heart. Bless him. So this specific blessing in chapter 6 is really important. It has some um, really important details that I want us to pay attention to this morning. So the first one, God is the one speaking in this passage. 
God is the one that gives the script, the exact words for how God wants God's people to talk to one another. These are the things that God wants the people to say to one another, the wishes God wants them to impart upon one another, and the hopes to bestow upon one another. God wants us to wish peace upon one another. And not just peace as a throwaway word, meaning non-chaotic, but the word peace that's used here is the word shalom. And shalom means an all-encompassing peace, a physical and mental and spiritual peace, the peace like the deepest breath you've taken all day. Let's all do it. Ready? Breathe in. Hold it and breathe out. That's shalom. That's what God wants us to to wish for one another. So don't miss this as well. There's another important intricate detail. God is the one that is speaking, but the one doing all of the actions in the blessing, doing the blessing and the keeping and the shining and the lifting is God. Every verb in this passage is attached to the noun, the Lord. God is the one doing the action of blessing, not the people. Now, in context, this is really important because when you go home and you read through the whole book of Numbers, you're just going to skip chapter 1, um, you'll see that in chapter 6, it opens up with this section about um, the Nazarites, about the priests, the people that are set apart to be ordained for the special work of making sure that the right religious things happen the way that God has instructed God talks about the holy people that are set apart for that important work. But when God gives a blessing, God is the one who does the blessing and the keeping and the lifting and the shining. I think that this shows us a really, really important detail that has been true from the beginning of time. God wants to be involved in human relationships. God pays attention. God gives us the instructions to bless one another, the exact words that we are to say in a blessing. But then God also takes on being the one to do the blessing, to do the shining, the, to do the bringing of shalom. God wants to be involved in human relationships. One of the biggest themes in the entirety of Scripture is the idea that we as human beings are supposed to be in community. When God is creating in the Genesis narratives, um, God creates two humans at the same time so that they can be in community with one another. When Jesus comes to earth and he's getting ready to start his ministry, the first thing he does is go and find 12 best friends so that they can be in community with one another. And later in the New Testament, when Paul is writing all of these letters, which are written to church communities, he's giving them instructions on how to live together. And trust me, they weren't doing it very well if you read those letters. And so back here in the Old Testament, there are instructions given to a community, a community that's on the run, on the move, on how to organize themselves and how to interact with one another the words that they are to say to one another. How to have shalom on the move. And so I think it's fair to say 
that social support is scripturally mandated. Social support is scripturally mandated. So the importance of being in community with one another, if, that, if the entirety of scripture is not good enough for you, um, I'll bring in science. In the book, The Body Keeps Score, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk writes and proves this statement. Social support is a biological necessity. Dr. van der Kolk was one of the leading psychiatrists that started the movement leading to the diagnosis of what we now call PTSD. When veterans were coming back from Vietnam and they were having these flashback experiences and they were um, not well, we didn't have a name for PTSD. We called it schizophrenia. And PTSD is not schizophrenia. And so Dr. Vanderkolk um, worked really hard with veterans to figure out what was going on in their brains. And his trauma work has extended um, even further since then. He focuses on how trauma not only impacts our brain, but it impacts our entire body. He found, by studying um, children's brains, he studied children who grew up with different levels of support in the early formative years of their life, and he found that the brain literally develops abnormally for children who grew up without a place to feel safe or loved. Social support is a biological necessity. Our brain is developed in three distinct layers from the bottom up. So at the bottom is the reptilian brain. This is what develops when we are in the womb. This gets our bodies organized and basic functioning begins to happen before we are born. Then in the middle is the limbic system. This is what is developed mainly in the first six years of our life where emotions, perception, and memory are housed. And the, most of, uh, the majority of this sermon series is going to be spent looking at this limbic system layer of the brain. The final layer of our brain that is developed is the prefrontal cortex, which is not fully developed until about 25 years old or so. Now, even though these layers of our brain have different distinctions and develop differently over time, they are all what we call use-dependent systems. This means that even if these layers are fully developed, they only remain strong and accessible if you continue to use them. That second layer, the limbic system where emotions are housed, only continues to be strengthened as we experience safe and protected relationships in every stage of our life. Even if your first six years, that system is developed in a really healthy way, if you don't experience safe and protected relationships later in life, that use-dependent system becomes weak. Safety and security are essential for our mental and spiritual and emotional needs, and it keeps that limbic system functioning in the way it's supposed to function. Now, for those of you who aren't science and tuned out, all of this to say, in every stage of life, social support is a biological necessity. So social support is scripturally mandated, backed by science as a biological necessity. But if you need a little bit more to be with me, it's also an anthropological marvel. There's an anthropologist named Margaret Mead who was um, a teacher and she was um, teaching uh, when a student asked her the question, 
what is the first sign of a civilization in a culture? And the students, like good anthropology students, were expecting answers like, well, fish hooks or clay pots or grinding stones, signs that um, people, that humans, were trying hard to survive somehow. But Margaret Mead surprised the students when she answered. She said that the first sign of a civilization was a femur, that big bone in your thigh, a femur that had been broken and healed. She explained that in the animal kingdom, if you break your leg, you die. You cannot run from danger. You cannot go get fresh water. You cannot go get food. You probably become food for some prowling beasts. No animal survives with a broken leg long enough for the bone to heal. But a broken femur in an ancient human skeleton is evidence that someone took the time to stay with the person who fell. They may have uh, bound up the wound in some way that they would have known how to do. They would have carried the person to safety. They would have provided for the person's basic needs like food and water, even when they couldn't do it themselves. And the quote attributed to Margaret Mead at the end of the story is this, we are at our best when we serve others, so be civilized. Social support is a scripturally mandated biological necessity that is an anthropological marvel. These are three separate schools of thought and disciplines of study, some of which um, have a belief in God and some of which do not, but they all land on the same fact. We need each other. I mentioned earlier that um, this, this blessing from Numbers is one that I said every week with my youth group, every Sunday night from 7th to 12th grade. And every time that this blessing is offered to me or said at an event that I am attending, I can't help but think back to that time in my life. This was a time where I was with a community that um, we, we reminded every single week that it was God that was our focal point. It was God that was going to do the blessing. It was a holy community during formative years of my life. And one of the things that I believe deep within me is that it was a place where I could be honest, but I was held accountable to be honest as well. We had this thing in our youth group. When someone asked, how are you, just like Miss Allison did during um, children's time, and someone responded with what I really think is a knee-jerk reaction of, oh, I'm good, we would ask them again, how are you? We weren't afraid of the honest answer. We knew that if sometimes somebody was going to say, you know, I'm not doing so good, it may have required, tell me about that. How can I pray for you? What's going on? You weren't going to get out of the question, how are you, very quickly, and we were okay with that. We wanted to offer up real and honest and authentic comfort to those who needed it by asking, how are you really doing? And that was a way to get there. Friends, I think it's safe to say that we are living in a COVID-enhanced mental health crisis. 
The time of social distancing and physical isolation and staying at home didn't just create problems that didn't already exist, but I think it gave some of us enough time to slow down and see the reality that some of us have been ignoring our own mental health care. The extended time of isolation and searching for correct answers has also created imbalances that maybe weren't there before as well. There's a global rise in the number of anxiety imbalances, depression, and other mental health diagnoses. And even if you may find yourself completely imbalanced and not struggling with any of these mental health concerns, I can guarantee that chances are you love someone very much who is. And while no single solution can really solve every single mental health problem, even in this room, I firmly believe that honesty is at least a starting point for all of us. Social support is a scripturally mandated biological necessity that is also, also an anthropological marvel. We need each other. We must remind one another that God is going to bless each and every one of us. We must be a blessing for one another. And friends, it is hard work, but we have to be honest with one another. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to lean into honesty. We're going to continue to try to eliminate the stigma, this idea that we can't talk about mental health care. We're going to talk about how God pays attention to our brains. You're going to hear words from the pulpit like therapy and psychiatric medication and depression and our emotions. I'm going to show you brain scans. We're all going to learn about the feelings wheel. And we're going to stay nestled right in the book of Numbers with a people on the move. And if you truly want to get the most out of this sermon series, I invite you to real and raw honesty. I will never ask you to do anything that I am not willing to do alongside you. And I promise that from the pulpit, you will get real and raw honesty. Just like David said, there are discussions, um, discussion guides in the back as you walk out. And if you're um, watching online, you can go to creekwoodumc.org slash stigma free where you can find them and we'll email them to you. We will make sure you can get these discussion guides, people. And I didn't write them alone either. My therapist worked with me to make sure that these are questions that are going to facilitate discussion um, with your friends. I live alone, so I'm going to do these with my friends or with your family. Some of you are using them in your small groups. And there are prompts for discussions with adults and teenagers, but there are also prompts that are for children. If we're going to really eliminate the stigma, perhaps we need to make sure that the next generation is not going to grow up with one. There are mental health conversations you can have with your kids. We need each other. We must be honest with one another. And so I want you all to start today. As you're leaving, you will probably ask someone out of habit, how are you? And if they need it, ask them twice. That in itself can be a blessing to the people around you. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for the gift of our brains, the ways in which you created them to develop and to be used. God, for all of the different neurons that fire when things happen to us, when we experience just regular daily routines. Thank you for creating us so intentionally and so intricately. And God, we ask that as we lean into the hard work of really being honest, of trying to eliminate the stigma, of trying to eliminate the idea that we can't talk about these things, we ask that you might make us brave. That we might know that um, even when we admit to things, even when we talk about things that we haven't talked about before, that you are still with us. God, I ask that you would place people in our lives that would be willing to listen to the real answer of the question, how are you? And if that is to be us, we ask that your Holy Spirit would lay that upon our hearts. God, be with us as we walk through the wilderness, just like you are with the Israelite people. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. You'll stand. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.